Welcome to the Talent Cast, the Lost episodes, or the Lost interviews. I haven't decided what to call them as I record this, so I guess I have decided what to call them. Anyway, I did four amazing interviews during my break, my hiatus, well, at least when my hiatus started, when I was planning on coming back to the Talent Cast very quickly, and I have not made decisions as to whether or not I'm coming back to the Talent Cast, but I had these amazing interviews with some amazing, wonderful, smart people that I knew. If I kept on my hard drive any longer, the guilt would just kill me, and I needed to get these things out to the world. So that's what we're doing. We're releasing the lost interviews in one foul swoop. Uh, I hope you enjoy them, but we have a few housekeeping notes, first of which is I have got to thank Chad and Cheese uh, of Chad and Cheese. That's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman, who not only are good friends of mine and who just turned 50 a day apart from each other. So that feels suspicious somehow. Anyway, neither here nor there. They, uh, they and the Evergreen Network have sponsored and kept my podcast going uh, for the last year plus, and I, I really do appreciate what, you know, them and what they've done and how they've really kind of put pushed the employer brand recruitment marketing space forward in the, t- in the podcast world. So thank you, Joel. Thank you, Chad. Thank you so much for having me as part of this network, and we'll see where the future takes us. I don't know where that's going to be. Two other notes. First, you know that book I wrote and then that other book I wrote? I'm making them free. Not not just, hey, it's on Amazon, I, I don't have any cost here, I'm, I'm lowering the cost really. I mean, literally, I put it all in a Google Doc, and if you go to employerbrandbook.com, it takes you to the Google Doc. The actual text and images of the books are right there. They're freely available for you to read, for you to copy and paste, for you to clip stuff from, for you to share, to give to your boss, to give to your coworkers, whatever you want, I'm putting it out in the world. My goal, as always, both of the podcast and the newsletters and the books and all that stuff is to raise the conversation of employer brand, to let people know how amazing employer brand can be. Rather than try and flog a book, I'm trying to say, here, take it, get some value out of it, share this with people who need to have their perspective changed on what employers employer brand can be. That's what it's all there for. I don't make a penny. How could I? It's a Google Doc. So please share. That again is employerbrandbook.com. Second thing, my efforts that used to go into the podcast now go into a weekly newsletter called Employer Brand Headlines. If you like the podcast, you're going to love the headlines. Why? You One, you don't have to hear my voice. Two, I write like I talk, so it's almost like you hear my voice. And three, you can read my little newsletter in much less time it takes than to listen to a podcast. So there you go. It's much faster. If you go to employerbrand.news, there it is. Go ahead and sign up. It's free. It drops every Monday. And, uh, you know, we have 1,500 subscribers, which I think makes us the biggest employer brand newsletter in the world, which is crazy. But there you go. Anyway. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for subscribing. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Like I said, I don't know what the future holds, but I appreciate you being a part of it and listening and sharing and telling me what you thought. I really listened to every word. Um, I don't know where the future is. I don't know where we're heading, but I look forward to what we've got next. So without any further ado, thank you so much again. Here's the interview. With me is Lindsay Parks, former Oracle Talent Brand team member. Uh, she's done agency work. She's been in a number of companies. I will link to her LinkedIn profile. You can see what she's been up to lately. But Lindsay and I have been friends for like two years now. We we, we sat on the same panel. Um, thank you, Audra, for hooking us up like that. And we ended up just kind of kind of connecting. And we're just we've been really good friends since then. I've been a huge fan of the work she does and. While I'm pure on employer brand, she's made this weird move where she's gone to this other team called 
marketing. Am I getting that right? Is it is it marketing or branding? Is that what we're calling this thing? Uh, she's yeah, let's call it that. She's moved over to the dark side or the light side, depending on how you look at it. And I think she has amazing perspective on what we do all day and what we try and do all day, as well as what we could be doing all day, because now she lives in a world where um, she's at a higher level, you know, a slightly higher level where they're working, you know, the stuff we're stealing from, this, she's who we're stealing from. So I, this is why I wanted to bring Lindsay in. So uh, Lindsay, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Absolutely, James. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I, you know, I don't want to do a full on, you know, interview, blah, 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 but I will start with this, this question. Um, what's the first thing we talk about brand. It's a big concept. It's a big idea. Everybody has one. Everybody thinks they have one or we they have a good one. But when you look at a brand and you're considering a brand, what's the first thing you look at or look for? When I'm looking at a brand. I, I look at the, uh, the content first and foremost, you know, the creative execution, the authenticity, the effectiveness of the storytelling. Um, you know, I think sometimes when you are working in this space, whether it's on the employer brand side or within that marketing sphere, you often get hung up on how to effectively tell a story if you don't think it's going to resonate with the masses. You know, we get hung up on, oh, the product's not that exciting, or oh, you know, the company isn't exactly one that inspires those second glances out there on these different platforms. But there is a way to effectively do that um, well, appealing to different audiences across different platforms. So if you think that you don't necessarily have a style that's going to resonate on Instagram, there's a really great way to tell that story. You just got to think creatively and beyond the confines of what you've done historically. So I think that's where my mind and my eyes gravitate toward now that I've been um, in the corporate space for a while and, and working for some companies where um, it wasn't always straightforward when we were trying to reach the audiences that we were after, we really had to think beyond the box and beyond the traditional approach. And so I, I always look at the brand's ability to do that. And if it's a cool piece of content, it doesn't necessarily I'm going to buy into the product, but I respect you know, the, the creative execution of this stuff. I know it goes into it, um, but I think that's really what, what impresses me this day is having been in the thick of it. So if it's a product or a brand that is not, let's say, specifically geared towards you, right? You know, if someone's selling me car insurance and I don't have a car, so it's not really useful, how do you evaluate a brand that's not trying to speak to you? How do you evaluate its its impact or its its effectiveness when it's not really trying to speak to you? Good question. Yeah, I, I mean, that is, um, that is uh, something that we kind of get tripped up over, right? You know, I think... Um, we as marketers get hung up on well if it doesn't align to the bottom line or those business objectives is there you know a point to spending the money or putting in the time energy and resources um, if i see something out there and i'm not it's it, you know the company's target audience or i'm not gonna uh, subscribe or take that extra step if i see something that's been really well done um i you know use that as as a form of um, inspiration. I look at that as kind of the, the best player or, you know, something to aspire to. Um, and I think any brand that you know, can pride itself on on inspiring creative thought or, or pushing other brands to think beyond the confines of, you know, their, their um, history or their brand guidelines, I think that's a win. Everybody wants to be that brand that's kind of giving those hat tips out there, um, even if it's not necessarily going to lead to a sale, but it leads to that, um, like I said, that, that hat tip from other brands, that's, that's a pretty high compliment. Um, yes. So you so, can still fangirl again, you know, on, on a brand that isn't speaking to you directly. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, I, um, I, we all scroll through the feeds every single day and, you know, I've, I've been looking at some brands out there that I might not ever, um, engage with beyond that interaction on social media, but you you look at BMW right now, their Instagram, it's so cool and it's inspiring to think differently about how we approach, um, different products in our portfolio. And, and you look at, um, other competitors out there and even the non-Googles of the world. And when you get on the map from a creative execution perspective, you know, there's something to be said for that. And there, there, you never know what's influencing your potential customer either. There's so many points of influence out there along the candidate, the customer journey. Um, it could be that single Instagram post that, that gets noticed or is remembered when the time does come to potentially engage with that brand from a customer perspective. So or or saying, employer brand perspective. Yeah. So what you're saying is the the Facebook algorithm is really confused when it looks at you. It's like, she's into everything. <laughs> Most people are pretty confused when they look at me, James. And <laughs> I'm all over the place. Yeah. Hardly. Hardly. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, inspiration can come from anywhere. But yeah, I, you know, I'm sharing those likes, whether it's something that's going to resonate with me, um, like I said, from a buyer perspective. Um, or it's just something that I can appreciate as someone who tries to creatively execute content every single day. Um, so yeah, Facebook is very confused by me, but I think Facebook, if you're really immersed in this space, most social platforms, um, are confused by, by those professionals because I think we're all on the same page as far as, you know, um, uh, we all admit to ourselves that this is challenging work and that engagement is, is critical. The brands that are doing it right are the brands that are going to, um, really make waves and get noticed out there. So I think we're all probably, um, you know, looking at it through a very different lens than, you know, someone who's not in the space every single day. So aside from Instagram, what's like a, a place or a thing or a person you go to when you're looking for an idea or looking for inspiration or looking for a new way of, of approaching a problem? Sure. No, good question. Um, sadly, it's not going to be TikTok for, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess we'll find out, but, um, yeah, you know, I, I, uh, search for random brands out there. You know, I think once upon a time, um, when I first started in this space, my eyes were gravitating toward direct competitors, right? Like you know, who's, who's doing it right yeah. in this, uh, respective space. And then I realized, oh, no one just yet. And that's yeah. opportunity, but do you want to strive to be kind of a best in class within your peer group? Or do you want to strive to be a best in class from, you know, a really killer brand perspective and be up there with, um, the Googles of the world and, um, you know, the Nikes. And again, you might not have the same killer product, but when it comes to turning some heads from a content perspective, everybody has the potential to do that. So I, I lean on those larger brands, the ones that, um, I hope to, you know, aspire to steal from steal from exactly. That's what we'll call it. Um, you can hear my dog in the background. Welcome oh, to yeah. from home COVID style. Oh, yeah. Um, and you know, I look to um, my peers. I look to see how folks are engaging out there. So if I see you know, folks that I work with on the day-to-day or um, business owners that I respect engaging with certain content, you know, what is it about that content that, that sparked that interest? And so I'm just kind of keeping, you know, sketchily keeping tabs out there on, on what's um, inspiring people to engage. But it's all the channels, you know? I think, um, you know, keeping tabs on... Instagram is just as important as leaning into LinkedIn to see what's resonating. They all serve different purposes. All right. The biggest offender has been put outside. Sorry about that. 
not to worry. I mean, you know, I got a soon to be six year old walking behind me all the time. So I get it. <laughs> she's cuter though. Well, I don't like that. Depends on what she's, she's full of boogers today. So uh, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, I think it's interesting you mentioned TikTok. I think TikTok is an interesting example of as these new channels come on board, they're effectively asking brands to say, how do you communicate your brand value position or your brand value or just your message in a brand new medium, in a brand new vernacular, right? You know, it's, it's, if you sold tires, car tires, and neither of us do, so I feel pretty good that we can just talk about car tires for a while. If you sold car tires and you had to be on TikTok, how the hell do you dance about car tires? And it forces brands to say, what's most meaningful? What's crucial? What's underneath all the logos and, you know, uh, you know, hashtags and, and the stuff that we've optimized for broadcast media and then later bro- optimized for Facebook and later optimized for Twitter. And now it's like, oh, now we have to do all that. But with dancing and pop songs, how the heck do we do that? that? To me, you know, forcing brands into that challenge to say, okay, reevaluate who you are and what you're all about in this new format. That's what makes each new ch- channel kind of like that amazing. Absolutely. And I, I think that's, you know, you just hit the nail on the head as far as why it's so important to um, have a table that consists of a, a number of different perspectives and user demographics. And each channel is different as far as their capabilities and asking ourselves, how do we optimize each is, is a challenge. But I think at the end of the day, what it really boils down to is authentically telling a story and effectively mm-hmm. utilizing platforms um, that in a way that's going to resonate with their respective audiences. So, you know, if you're telling an elongated story out there on, let's say, LinkedIn, and you're going after that thought leadership component, and you're making some uh, thought-provoking content, how do you switch that up, or, or how do you reformat that in a way that relays a similar consistent message, but that's going to, again, kind of spark that um, that second look out there on something like a TikTok. And I think especially in the employer brand space, brand space really, but I think we saw this evolution not too long ago unfold in the employer brand space where we started leaning on our people to tell that story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the best approach regardless of the market that you're in, regardless of what you're trying to sell, whether it's an experience, whether it's um, an open position, whether it's a product, what have you. You know, I think leaning on your people to tell that story is really what's getting audience attention out there. Um, so if you're selling... T- tires and you're trying to come up with something cool and fun for something like TikTok and it's not your traditional media go-to, you know, your employees in that, you know, talk about, um, or, you know, do a cool fun dance with some bouncing tires in the background. It's yeah. a way to do it. But I think when we try to, when we get too hung up on, um, you know, that barrier, like, oh, that's not our space because it's not our customer. And how do we even do that? Are we even cool enough to be in that space? Well, we don't know how to execute on that. That's when we start to lose momentum. I think, mm-hmm. There's a nice happy medium between trying to boil the ocean, you know, and trying to um, do it all when you see other brands really executing well out there on all these platforms. You stick to stick to what feels right. Don't try to fit a square peg into a round hole. But if you do decide to navigate these fun new frontiers, just remember who you are, what you're about, and tell that story in a way that you know feels fun, lighthearted, and true to the brand. Yeah, I mean, the, each, you know, with the social media people talk all the time about you can't use the same message across all platforms. You can't use the same 280 characters and slap it on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and whatever. And it's not because, you know, they're trying to pad their, their billing hours. It's because that each 
channel has its own tribal language. It has its own vernacular. Mm -hmm. Emojis that work in Twitter do not play on LinkedIn. Um, and you know, in the same way, what your expectations are of each channel simply don't carry over. And so you have to speak as if it's to a brand new audience because ultimately it is. Right, absolutely. And I, you know, um, the goal is ultimately to be a strong contender in your given market, but also a strong contender in whatever space you decide to, to optimize to effectively tell your story. And what's going to work on Twitter um, might not work on LinkedIn, but there's still the importance of striking that brand consistency. So yeah. you know, if you have, um, like I said, kind of a, an opportunity that, you, that you're looking to fill or a headline, you you can tell the same story. Just make sure you're telling it in a way that um, allows you to, to tap into the different channel capabilities. So for Twitter, short headline to the point, maybe give a call to action real quick, use those emojis, what have you. Um, LinkedIn, take it a step further, talk about the journey, talk about uh, the work. Um, you can still include that call to action, send, uh, you know, send your audience to other digital assets to learn more. It's all about grabbing that attention, but showing people that you know how to engage on these different platforms. Yeah. I mean, like, but beyond that, I mean, like, you know, if you're not, if you're a tire, com tire company and you're not, you're pushing your content out on social, you're not competing against other tire companies. You're competing against um, you know, a dance video, you're competing against right. cute kittens, you're competing against, and that's on Twitter and that's on Facebook or that's on Instagram on LinkedIn, you're competing against other companies who are trying to vie for your talent or trying to sell to the mm -hmm. same thing. And so you, you so have to recalibrate what you're trying to do and who you're talking to in each one of those social channels that, you know, as the new ones appear, it really says, okay, what have we learned in previous channels that we can carry over? And how do we refactor the idea of what we're doing into this brand new vernacular? Like if there's an, you know, if, if, if Vine 2.0 shows up, how do you tell the car tire story in three second videos using only stickers, right? Or whatever the, right. the language is like, that's a challenge. That's crazy. And there are plenty, plenty of companies who are like, I don't know how to do that. And so I want to stay away. But the truth is if your customers are there, if your clients are there, if your audience is there, learn to speak their language just as well as you speak it to anybody else. Oh, 100%. And I think uh, a misstep that a lot of brands um, take is, is talking at the audience as if, you know, they um, don't don't know some of those, um, you know, those, those what could be considered duh factors, you know, and mm -hmm. um, open yourself up to the opportunities to really have a conversation, you know, interaction is is critical and talking at people out there regardless of the channel is, is you know at this point the jig is up people can feel when you're doing that um and i think sometimes brands make the mistake of blasting out a message and walking away from it and so opening themselves up to to conversation and to give folks an opportunity to um chime in or interact or engage you know one of the um most successful calls to action out there is tell us about you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, treating these channels like it's kind of a, what we always say in like the HR space is that the post and pray, the same could be said for content, mm -hmm. post and walk away. Um, people pick up on that when comments are left, uh, you know, left alone and people aren't talking or, or responding. People yeah. feel that that's a brand experience. And so I think looking at these channels, not just as an opportunity to push out some really kick-ass creative and, um, sell product and get people to to tap in, but looking at them as a two way conversation or or conduit to conversation, um, I think that that is a critical part. And if you are you know falling flat on let's say um, really cool compelling visuals, well you better make up for that with the conversations that you're trying to yeah, initiate. Yeah. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, and I think sometimes brands overlook that part. Yeah, they, they do funky things. It's the you know it's easier to make. Or let me rephrase. It's faster and more effective to pay someone to make pretty visuals than it is right. to get someone to sit there and engage with someone. Right. Absolutely. And these channels too. Like sometimes people just want to be heard. You know, you could push out a killer piece of creative, and then you have an audience member who chimes in with a question completely unrelated, and people are just as inclined to look at whether or not you responded as they are to pay attention to that visual. Yeah. Um, that is another point of influence. So that community management piece, that um, proactive approach to engagement, that availability, that transparency, that willingness to have the conversation, just as important as pushing out some killer creative. Yeah. And I, I love that you said point of influence. I think that's, you know, in, in employer brand, you know, we're starting to put our, our arms around this idea of it's, there's no transactionalness to it anymore. That the, the, the journey from, I'm not looking for a job to, oh, maybe I'd be interested in talking to someone. Oh, I actually want to apply. Oh, I definitely want to accept the offer is a huge journey. And so no piece of employer brand content can make that happen. And all you can mm-hmm. really do is influence and nudge in certain places to increase the likelihood of each step moving forward. And, and, you know, and, and in your day job, you do a lot of, you know, you're, it's, that's not transactional work. You're selling very complicated ideas. You're selling, you know, it's a process to go from prospect to client. So, you know, knowing that you're working for, you know, around influence is also interesting. But that brings me to, I think, what is a more interesting point, which is having, you know, and let's be fair, you have some pretty serious chops when it comes to recruitment, marketing, talent, branding, employer branding, what have you. Moving over to the other side, the consumer side, what have you learned or what what has surprised you about that transition? I think the biggest aha moment, and it's probably not an aha moment to a lot of folks out there now at this point in the game, but um, just how critical and also how possible it is to have these different channels function as one ecosystem. Mm. The traditional corporate space, you have your um, public relations side to the house, you have your internal facing communications, you have your social media teams, you have your corporate social, you have your um, acquisition social, you have paid, you have organic. They all need to be communicating and operating as one. And I think when I was in the employer brand space with what was painfully obvious is just how siloed we all were. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember back in the day when we first started the conversation over at Aetna around social recruiting, knocking on the door to marketing, asking, um, you know, for kind of like the the leftovers as far as resources were mm-hmm. concerned, or begging for that seat at the round table. Oh, yeah. As my career has evolved and my experiences have evolved and now being in this new space, you know, we all need each other and we all need to be talking to one another. And what's is, um, you know, considered to be really killer content in the employee brand space could lend itself really well to some of the goals that we're trying to accomplish in corporate and marketing. Um, You know, the PR side to things when you're out there uh, talking about the company, you know, that messaging has to be consistent. And so the only way that this really works is if we're all communicating with each other and we're treating each other as as partners um, and sometimes clients and making sure that at the end of the day, when you go to one channel or when you uh, went a, a news outlet that has made mention of your company, there's consistency there. People know who you are, what you're about, what the story is, what you sell, um, and you know what, what your goals are. And so I think when you operate as an independent team that's not kind of connected to this broader ecosystem, you lose sight of um, some really important business objectives, talent objectives, um, industry, you know, benchmarks and things of that nature. So we really all need to be working in tandem with one another. 
So you're seeing more integration between the aspects of the brand coming together and working together to support each other. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what is your day-to-day like? I mean, if you take your child, if, if a complete stranger who is really good at employer brand, and, and this isn't me, this isn't like a, a friend of mine, blah, blah, blah. But like if just some random person says, I'm going to take my employer brand chops and I'm going to take them over the other side. What's the biggest difference? What's the experience going to be like? What are the things you learned that were surprising? Um, I think, you know, back to, oh, this is one big ecosystem. Uh, really an aha moment for me. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the people side to that storytelling is just as critical in the candidate space as it is in the consumer space. Um, and that, you know, access to resources is critical when you're trying to pull this stuff off. And I think, you know, you know, better than anyone, James, just how often folks in the talent acquisition space or the employer brand space are kind of treated like that redheaded stepchild to the marketing conversation. And it, it takes a lot of um, you know, maneuvering and, and conversation to, like I said, kind of secure that seat at the table. But at the end of the day, the partnership is mutually beneficial, um, yeah. a content perspective and a strategy perspective. So if I were to be sitting down with someone who's considering that jump, um, my first bit of advice would be to you know, go in there with the confidence that you, you all need each other, um, that the talent acquisition content is just as critical to the strategy. Um, compared with those with those testimonials, those anecdotes that, that prove that case. Um, but walk in knowing that you are a partner and not necessarily the person who should be knocking at the door, um, begging for those resources all the time. Yeah. You have just as much to offer. So you're bringing a, a little more, maybe not authority, but certainly responsibility levels to bear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, no one has a be- better line of sight to the people. Um, and, and talent is just, I mean, it's an organizational priority. You ask any leader, you ask any individual contributor, um, what what part of the goal in, in pushing out these messages? It's not just consumer, they're after viable talent. Um, so that's often at the center of, corporate strategy and and what we're trying to accomplish across all channels. And so um, nobody has a better line of sight into the volume, into those uh, hiring objectives or priorities than our HR partners. So it's really important for us to make sure that that bridges or that gap is constantly bridged, that makes sense. In a a previous conversation, you talked about one of the things that surprised you when you moved over was the difference in speed. Can you kind of talk more about that. I think that was, it, at the time, it was just absolutely fascinating. I think it would be interesting to hear again. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, and some things have evolved and changed since we spoke last. So sure. you know, um, I think in any setting, you know, especially when a company is just starting to find their footing in terms of um, developing that ecosystem, in terms of broadening that employer brand presence out there, um, taking content to the next level, um, there's, there is that appetite for some structure around that, some, you know, escalation processes in place. It should something implode, you know, when you start featuring your people and having those transparent conversations, you have to make sure that you have, um, that, that strategic backing in place. So your partners in other areas of the company, like employer relations or legal, that they're feeling comfortable. And so what I've learned, um, and it was originally an aha moment that came to me in the employer brand space um, when we first started the conversation around featuring our people. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. what if what if this happens? You know, what if so and so leaves? What if yeah. 
realized just how important it was to have those moments kind of spelled out, even if you know in your heart of hearts, NBD, you know? Um, so I think the velocity that we're trying to embrace and accomplish and the agility that we're trying to work with, um, it was only made possible by having to go through those motions and to kind of pay tribute to that red tape that, you know, sometimes felt like more of an obstacle than it should. But um, when you start to put those things in place and you are able to assure your, your partners in those different spaces, life becomes easier. You're able to execute faster. Um, so again, back to, you know, the advice component to all of this, if you are in either the corporate marketing space or the employer brand space, start there, start by building that out. And if it's already built, you know, make sure that it's up to date. So you're not running into unnecessary roadblocks as you're trying to execute. Um, but with that, now that I, I am a year into this role, because we took the time to build that out on all fronts, executing is, is easier and faster than it's ever been. Yeah. Um, and, and it's that way for our employer brand partners too, because we're now working in tandem with one another. So our resources are their resources and vice versa. So um, it, it really kind of benefited us holistically across the organization. And I think, you know, the proof is in the results and our timeliness out there. There's nothing worse. And I think everybody in the corporate space can relate to this. Well, we have to post the recap because we couldn't post day of because, you know, we had to go through all of these different avenues of approvals and there was no way to be that nimble. Yeah. Now you see the proof in the feeds where we're taking part in conversation in real time. We're posting day up. And that's a result of kind of, like I said, paying homage to that, to that structure. Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, and I think maybe it's a function of having minimal resources, at least as employer brand was beginning to kind of mature a little bit. And I think now it is a little bit more mature than it was, say, five years ago. But when you have no resources, you kind of do whatever and you kind of just throw stuff against the wall and you hope it works. You aren't as concerned about the downside or the contingencies or what ifs. And in a corporate setting, it's all about the what ifs. It's all about, you know, anybody can take the most innocent phrasing out of context, lift it, recontextualize it, and suddenly you're all racist, you're all old, you're all ageist, you're all uh, against innovation, you're all whatever. That, I mean, you can make this stuff happen. And so corporate comps tend to come very conservatively because they've had those things happen and they know that the downside of, you know, something goes wrong with employer brand, okay, a handful of people don't apply as fast. Something goes wrong with, you know, corporate communications, enjoy your stock dip. And that's, you know, that's investors right. and that's leadership. And suddenly everybody's on your ass to say, what the hell just happened? And so mm -hmm. when, the, when the when the downside is so big, you learn to be very, very, you know, you learn to lean on your contingencies and think through the what ifs. And employer brands never, you know, I think is only starting to kind of come to grips with the idea of, okay, let's plan. What is a what if? What is a contingency? How do we plan? And when you do that, legal starts to get off your back and marketing starts to go, oh, you get it. You understand mm -hmm. what we play with live ammunition here. This isn't just all fun and games. This isn't just recruiters with a flair for design. This is real branding work and you, and they come with uh, downsides and you have to plan for those. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, there was a little rub when I first started out in this space because um, James, you and I are, are a lot alike in the sense that we want to execute and do cool stuff. And we're not always thinking through that worst case scenario, but there mm -hmm. are um, really talented people whose job it is to make sure that the brand is protected, even if the scenarios that they're proposing or having nightmares about are, are completely outlandish to you and I. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, that's, 
That lawyers go to school to invent those scenarios in which you go, look, if it's a Thursday and the zebras go trampling through, we're all doomed. It's like, well, what, what is the likelihood of that happening? And the lawyers right. say, there's no likelihood. There either, it either is possible or it is not possible. And that's just how lawyers think. Right, exactly. But I think that this brings us right back to the importance of these partnerships. Yeah. Um, you know, we're in conversations with our friends in talent acquisition every single day. We're in conversations with our friends in legal every single day. Um, and, you know, it's, it's getting easier to, to um, you know, just kind of be planful and, and adhere to those standards and those expectations and um, those watchouts. And so as you navigate the ins and outs of this space, regardless of employer brand or, or corporate marketing, what have you, um, being open to, to learning and, like I said, kind of paying respect to um, those those areas of concern or that appetite for, for structure and protocol, it really does pay off in the end because it, it, you know, it just shows that you're, you're willing to, to partner in that way and, and to adhere to those things that you don't necessarily understand, but at the end of the day, it's all for the sake of the greater good and for the benefit of the brand. And that's really what we are in it for. You know, we want to make sure that that brand is um, not just being communicated in a really cool, way, but also being protected and preserved out there. That's also part of our job. So now that you've kind of moved to a slightly different phase of your career, looking back, where was your time best spent? I will say this until I'm blue in the face, uh, mm. under Celinda Appleby over at Oracle. Um, <laughs> I wasn't looking for names, but I'm, most but I will call her out all day long and she knows it. <laughs> um, the, the time I spent at Oracle was probably the um, uh, the biggest learning uh, experience of my career, and also um, I think the real catalyst to the work that I'm doing now. Mm. Um, I had just worked in uh, or worked over at Aetna in the uh, sourcing space, university relations space. I had some tenure with a, a talent agency before that, doing some recruiting. I started to dabble in the social recruitment space over at Aetna, kind of off the side of the desk. And then I started to work under Celinda over at Oracle. And she ran that shop like an in-house agency. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a creative arm. She had a copywriting arm. She had the employer brand strategists. And we really did feel like an in-house, an in-house agency. So we were going to clients with kind of these fleshed out campaigns ready to go. Um, that took into consideration how to best effectively optimize the different channels and what was going to work for, for the, you know, the ultimate objective of said campaign. And through her, I think the biggest aha moment in that space was, you know, we're not just recruiters who have a flair for design. We are, um, we are expected to be marketing strategists. We're expected to be, um, you know, creative thinkers. We're expected to be, um, account managers, you know, we, I think it opened my eyes to just how many hats uh, folks in the, the marketing space, employer brand space, what have you, um, have to wear in order to do their job effectively. You really have yeah. to push yourself in that space. And so um, that was really kind of what sealed the deal for me as far as, oh, you know, there, there's something to this. I'm interested in this. Um, it, really, it really taught me a lot about how this is supposed to go and what those partnerships are supposed to look like. And what defines an effective partnership in that way? Yeah, I, I, you know, and as, as you know, and we're we're not spring chickens anymore, you and me. I think you're a little younger than I am. Uh, you know, we we remember 
being young and stupid and coming in early and saying, <laughs> oh, I'm going to measure my value on the number of posts I make or the number of tweets mm. I make or the number of – it's sheer execution and that's what drives you. And it, it, there's a, a shift that happens as an individual. It sounds like that's where yours happened where you realize it's not about yet another tweet or yet another social post or yet another whatever. It's about – when is the right one? What is the right one? When is it time? And that, that, st- that strategic thinking is what drives value. It's anybody can you know, grind that stuff out if you give them good directions, but knowing how to use it, how to apply it, when it makes sense, when it makes sense to stop doing it, when it's not driving the value you need, that's where the real value is. Oh, 100%. 100%. Um, you know, I think for a long time, there was this... Um, I don't know, there was this misinterpretation, especially as I was starting to kind of navigate the space and, and immerse myself in that way. I think I got caught up on, um, you know, the volume, yes, but also, man, if, if it doesn't align back to the bottom line, whether it's a, a sale or a hire, is it worth saying at all? And then I realized, you know, again, as kind of um, tenure picked up and, and experience and exposure picked up, I realized sometimes it really is just about joining a conversation yeah, and not being afraid to do that. And so um, I, th- I would say in the past year and a half or so, I, I recognize the opportunity that exists and sometimes just taking part in that dialogue and, and, and uh, operationalizing um, you know, the, the conversation a little bit. So rather than sitting there and pitching um, roles all day, you know, there's a conversation out there that's unfolding about um, best places for uh, young or, or can we say young anymore, James? Can we say young? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. No, I don't know. I'm always getting my wrist slapped. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> Talent outside of your mind, our demographic. Um, <laughs> um, you know, there's conversation unfolding about, you know, some of their top concerns or or where they should they should live or, or where they can make the most money, you know, chiming in, in those discussions from an employer perspective, that gets visibility on the map, you know, retweet that article you found interesting, or, um, you know, if you know that there's a trending topic out there, that's really piquing some interest in the folks amongst the folks you're trying to target, or you're going to lend themselves well to what you're trying to do. Um, let that guide your content. I think we just kind of grasp at straws to see what's going to stick, or like you said, throw it against the wall and see what's going to stick. But the data and, and that engagement drive your messaging, even if you only post three times that week. If it's yeah. really some killer content that you know is relevant to your audience and that's kind of capitalizing upon um, some momentum that's already been built out there, mm-hmm. it's far more than you know trying to push out 10 messages in a given week. Yeah, I, I feel sorry for the the junior social media strategist who built their editorial calendar and then, you know, for two weeks in advance and then George Floyd hit or, oh. or the fires hit or, you know, when stuff happens and you have to realize, read the tone of the room, man. You got to, this is, this doesn't play anymore. And that, you know, maybe that was a joke or maybe it wasn't even a joke. It was just a, hey, hey, everybody, I know it's pandemic. Let's talk about, you know, coupons for fish fingers, right? It's just like, whoa, whoa, we don't know. We're not concerned about that. We're all worried about dying. We're all worried about our loved ones. Like you got to read the room and that ability to be in the moment, to be engaged, to be part of the conversation and not just throwing messages into a bucket that you call the social media sphere and saying, I'm not of this. I'm just adding to this. You're not adding to it. You're just adding to the noise. That's, that's where the real value is. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, that agility, that, that, um, Nimbleness and 
But yeah. beyond agility, I mean, the speed nimble is sure, but the willingness, I think you said it earlier, the willingness to listen, the willingness to engage, mm-hmm. to be part of that, whether you call it a community, whether you call it a, whatever it is, it's, 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 you are not separating the us versus them. You're saying I'm part of this community and I want to help this community. And this is how I help it by adding this piece of content. And sometimes it's sharing somebody else's content and somebody's mm-hmm. sometimes it's sharing your own content. And, you know, sometimes every once in a while it's branded content, but by then, hopefully you've built up enough, I won't say goodwill, I think that's such an overused term, but enough connection to other people that it doesn't sound like you're spewing the company line. You're actually offering something of value. Oh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, in any in any space where you're tasked with uh, selling a product, selling an experience, filling those seats, whatever the case might be, um, too often we, we get hung up on those metrics. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's okay. Um, simply to post something that has some meaning to it that shows people that you're, you know, um, that you're operating with an informed lens, that you're paying attention to the community. And if all you walk away from a KPI perspective is with, um, you know, the, the understanding that you showed up at the right time, that's, that's okay. It doesn't always have to be about the traffic going to your website. It doesn't have to always be about those likes and those those retweets or what have you. Like sometimes there's there's pride to be had in showing up at the right time in the right conversation on the right side of the argument. Yeah, absolutely. That 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 is also a point of influence. I think. Um, you know, how often are we out there kind of navigating these different channels and we see a company that, like I said, showed up on the right side of the argument and all of a sudden there's some affinity there organically. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's talk about not more now than, than in the past. What would you consider your work superpower? What is the thing that, you know, you know that you're, it's, it's your approach that makes you different and makes you unique and makes you value, valuable. What's, what's your work superpower? I would say the relationship component. I have just, um, since the very beginning, I think, recognized the importance of the relationship, the human side to all of this. Um, I think that with experience came this, um, I guess, admittance to myself that it's not always about walking away from conversations with my needs met. It's about, um, you know, instilling a sense of trust. It's about respecting expertise. It's about um, mm-hmm. applauding different perspectives, making people feel heard, and knocking on doors that aren't just going to make your job easier and, and help you get things over the finish line, but just for the sake of building that relationship and that rapport. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we're in a very unique time, as we all know, um, but whether you're working remotely or, or walking down the hallway um, and, you know, there's there are people who, who know you and feel comfortable approaching you and having conversations, I think that um, that's really important. That's really critical. And I think, too, the other side to that is you know, we're in a really unique space. We are um, expected to be kind of the, the subject matter experts when it comes to all things digital and marketing and walking the walk and how to, you know, pull something off on TikTok as well as you know, something compelling on LinkedIn. Like, that's not a space that everybody understands. And I think mm-hmm. especially as things evolve, there there is a concern out there amongst um, some legacy folks who feel like they might get left behind. Like they mm. don't know how to do this stuff. Their kids do. They don't know necessarily how to do this stuff. They're still learning or they don't even know where to begin. And so I think just paying respect to, like I said, expertise that they bring to the table, but also taking the time to show them 
you know, to walk them through to, um, you know, the low hanging fruit out there that they could tap into if they want to take part in, in the cause, so to speak. Um, but taking the time to do that, I think, um, is something I really pride myself on and something that has proven to be effective. Sounds like your, your superpower is really more about playing the long game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I think about my beginning uh, stages out there at different companies and um, being somewhat intimidated to go have that conversation with legal, employer relations, what have you, because again, they didn't necessarily understand what I was trying to do or what the point was. And, um, you know, now there are some I talk to most and who are the first advocates when we're trying to pull something off that we haven't done before. And I think it really is a result of taking the time to, to cultivate those relationships. I think that is a amazing place to, to kind of wrap this up. Lindsay, thank you so much. Uh, always great to talk to you. Uh, sometimes it's recorded. Sometimes it's not. Something that shouldn't be recorded between us, James, I think. That is 100% true. And I'm happy to leave that part on the podcast to tease everyone to say, I'm lucky enough to be friends with Lindsay and you may not be. So sorry. Very <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for being a part of this and sharing and talking about it. Um, you know, hopefully we'll we'll talk again soon about this stuff, and hopefully we'll record it for more people because I think your perspective is absolutely invaluable. Thank you so much, James. I really appreciate the time as always and your expertise. I look forward to to keeping in close touch. I didn't even pay you for that. Why would you say that? That sounds crazy. <laughs> oh, right. the invoice is in. The, you'll pay for it. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Lizzie. Right. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said. Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.